0: Hi, this is Jordan. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordic podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I specialise in the gaming industry, and today I am your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Giameiros, Lenny Ollinson, Virginia Baroni, and Felix Johannes to discuss expectations in gaming. Are consumers expecting too much? Uh, now, before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some small introductions. Uh, Virginia, do you want to kick us off?
1: Sure, of course. Um, hi, hello everyone. I am I'm Virginia Baroni, and I am I'm. I'm uh, currently a uh, QA tester for The Outsiders, I also work as Game Master for Fox in a Box escape Rooms, and I'm part-time streamer, um, I'm Brazilian, been living in Stockholm for three years
0: now. Brilliant, uh, Guillaume?
2: Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm, so I'm Guillaume Rose. I come from France, um, and I've been in Stockholm for about 16 years. Started actually at Grin, uh, which which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, went through Avalanche uh, quite a long time at DICE uh, on the Battlefront and Battlefield uh, series. Uh, recently, I've been at Remedy, but I'm going to actually soon start a new role at uh, Moyang, and my specialty. Currently is at least in game design is uh, three C's so camera controls and and character.
0: Lenny.
3: Yeah, uh, name is Lenny Olinsen. I am the art director at Paradox Interactive on CK Three. Uh, I've been in Sweden for around three years now. Uh, originally born in Denmark, but has been around the world a bit working on in different studios such as Iron Interactive, uh, Massive Avalanche Studios. And playground games. Um, yeah.
0: Brilliant. Uh, last but not least, uh, Felix.
4: Yeah. Hi. My name is Felix Johansson. Uh, I work at uh, Frostbite as a quality designer. Uh, previously, I've been at Spotify and was there for over eight years or so. And in between, working at different startups around Stockholm, uh, born and raised as well in Stockholm.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, everyone. And I feel like I feel the need to say that if I butchered your name, pronunciation, I am sorry. Uh, It's just how the English do things. We cannot pronounce anything. So I do (laughs) apologise. But now we've got a context to everyone. uh, Let's move on to the topic in focus. Uh, You've all prepared a question or a statement on expectations in gaming. Are consumers expecting too much? Uh, So we're going to go around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. And everyone will have an opportunity to give their take uh, on the situation. So let's start with Felix.
4: Yeah, so my question I have is, what have we uh, as creators done to increase the expectations uh, for gamers? Uh, there is no definitive answer to this, really. I think there are multitude of factors uh, that comes into this. But it could be anything in my mind from... Uh, us as creators setting the bar too high promising too much or even hyping up the game more than what the game will actually deliver i feel it could also be like the uh, technical advancement we've had in the past 10 to 20 years has that put an extra demand from the players to have insane graphics or almost lifelike experiences but in a way i also feel it could be after a A certain time as a company releasing multiple amount of games and all of them being received very well, the expectations for the next basically increases every time. Uh, So that's basically what I want to know and hear you uh, you guys' thoughts on this.
3: Yeah, I think it's a very good question. Um, I think it also depends on what exactly we set as the, the expectations from the, from the company side, I think that's the biggest one. What exactly is it that we are announcing to the players on events such as E3 and, uh, others? I think that's one thing, of course, the companies do in general, especially in AAA, I think, feel pressure to continue one-upping each other. So as being on the bleeding edge which inevitably means that there's more experimental development going on there whenever you have to create new tools to be better than the predecessor or better than the competitors, uh, which means that of course promising and delivering are two separate things when you are experimenting because you do not have the final result. I the think there's, of course that issue is that we do need to make certain promises based on what exactly we are creating but we might not always be able to do that uh, at the very end. But it's difficult to know when you're experimenting what the final result will be. Also, I think, of course, that the competition in the like last 10, 20 years have become more, uh, there's more and more game companies starting up. There's more and more AAA studios, especially also in the indie side of things. Uh, so with more competition, there's also a pressure to outperform the competition and to well in some cases over promise in order to get the market share that you need.
2: Yeah, but and I, I I think the or, or like as we are making games uh like bigger games in a shorter time as well, or or maybe the same time, but uh it it feels like we are promoting the game while we're not uh actually we're not done with it. So, we're promoting what we expect the game to be, and so we're we're setting or like in the sometimes in the team you set expectations for the team that you set the same for the players and and both the team and the players are are disappointed with with what Anna said that uh, comes at the end, basically
1: yeah i was I was gonna say just that like you guys just said everything I wanted to say <laughs> um. <laughs> I do agree. I agree heavily that we now have checkpoints. We have marketing checkpoints. You know, we have shows that we have to present stuff, and we have to keep the hype up. And there is marketing um, that uh, doesn't want to let the game die. We have to um, keep on progressing and showing off when we are not even done yet. So, I agree that um, it it is, of course, a part of selling a game Uh, it's still a product it has to be sold and has to be promised it has to to be shown Um, but i agree that in shorter time and by bringing more to the table every time technology wise um i don't know maybe even bringing the game to different consoles you have a lot more work on the table and you might not even know how the end result is going to be so it's it's hard it's hard I don't really see much big of a solution here unless um, we we lower all of this initial expectation. Honestly,
3: yeah, I, I do think that Felix brought up a good point that uh, when sequels are made for a very successful title, uh, then I think it, it almost comes to the other hand. So, one when when we release new games, the expectations are purely set by the companies, in my mind. But when you make sequels, it becomes very difficult to meet the player expectations, because they expect something new, but also they expect something that is very much what they already know. And that's a very, very fine edge to walk, is to deliver something that is new, but at the same time also delivering exactly within the player expectation, because expectation changes from person to person. What was this original experience to them? so it's that that's always a difficult one. Where if you like in that area, it's how to communicate that to the players and how the players can communicate their expectations. Is definitely something that can be improved on. Like there needs to be some sort of back and forth in that field because it feels very difficult to to meet expectations.
2: Yeah, I super agree with with that, like especially the like, communication part because the I think players don't like. I mean, that, and I don't expect them to fully understand how. How what it takes and and how long it takes what what uh, to 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 make a feature or or to change the game or to just to add a map from the previous game to the new one, just that takes a lot of time, and I I think they yeah they their expectation is set on what they know which sometimes is not uh, not much on on game development so. Um, yeah, basically uh, having a communication both ways so they they can tell what they want, but we can also explain to them what, what it takes is, is super important for them to uh, to actually have, understand what expectations they can have.
4: In regards to like su- success, succession of release titles, do you think it differs if there's any difference if it's a completely new IP or if it's a continuation basically of the same one?
3: I uh, definitely say with, uh, it it changes everything. Uh, <laughs> I think you have to really tread carefully if it's a succession, even if it's almost like DLCs on the existing ones. Like DLCs is a bit of a milder thing, I would say, not as fraught with danger. Uh, whereas if it's a a second game coming out on a very on a successful title, I think it's it's very difficult, especially if you come in uh, as a new developer. Uh, writing a a new story to a successful title—it's uh, very difficult. Uh, so yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, I think uh, a sequel is is yeah probably more or it feels more difficult in terms of like if we just talk expectations. Like uh, for example, a uh, battlefront game—if if there were like uh, we would make uh, a third battlefront game, players would expect all the maps from and and heroes and characters from the previous battlefront game because. That's, it already exists, so it's just to put it in um, in, in in some way. So, yeah, do, doing because you need to take what has been done before and improve on it and improve a lot to, to make it worse for the players. Um, so,
1: yeah. And that feels like sequels are getting sparser, like time-wise. Sequels are getting, like, even more work done on them. And it's like, it's it's like threading really slowly on when we are making sequels, because we we already know all of this, like there's a lot of work involved, but also people are going to expect progression and you can't please everyone at the same time. You might bring something new to the table that they don't know. You might change something here and there that they might prefer the, the last one. Um, That also makes me think that most uh, companies might not even want to do sequels by now, because of that.
3: Yeah, at the same time, you also have between sequels, you would usually have something like an engine upgrade, or perhaps uh, the studio has decided to go to a a third-party engine, which at that point, moving things from a previous game becomes almost an impossibility, and you would have to redo the entire system. But of course, the average player has no way of really knowing that. The companies don't usually communicate that, that, okay, we are making a sequel, but we're going to be using an entirely new game engine, or we're going to rehaul our system and make a version two of our game engine, meaning we're going to postpone the release by four years of an average uh, release cycle. That says nothing to, to the average player, right? So, And it's not really good usually for the company to announce that either. Uh, there's no real point. Uh, doing the development cycle. So I think at that point, perhaps that communication could be improved and make the players aware of what exactly it means that when we make big visual improvements or big technical improvements to our engine and to the games, that is something that will take time but is in the end for their benefits.
4: Yeah, I think in regards to that, if you switch over to a new engine, I figured it could be Depending on the type of game, of course, I think it could be worth uh, communicating that more broadly because if it's a AAA game and it supposedly, supposedly takes three to four years and then that time is extended by switching over the tech and it takes five to seven years for various reasons. I think if you don't communicate that, that it, the expectations could really soar from the user's point of view, like, oh, you have had five to seven years of doing this. Why is it so bare? or filled with bugs.
2: Uh, uh, in, my, in my experience, this has been only communicated uh, as, a, as a positive for the game. Like, we have the we have the latest engine. We have the, like, uh, it's just going to be greater. Uh, while on in the backside, um, it's, it's just making the, the development more difficult and the bugs more present. Uh, but the player facing, it's only great, and it's going to only improve the game. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that honesty towards the players is very difficult and very scary for for a lot of companies. Uh, but it, yeah, it goes back to the communication and, and that it feels like in now with with the, all the communication tools that there is and how fast and wide things are, you kind of need to to be more transparent. And I think players appreciate that. Uh, and I it's think a, it's
3: a leap. Right? Yeah, I think Dev Diaries is a good way to to communicate that to the players as well. I mean, if you communicate to the players that we have now upgraded the way that we do the graphics, we now go out and you know scan real life assets, and this is you know the time it takes to just scan one, sort of show the process, which is both interesting to uh, players, many of whom actually end up working in the industry due to a passion for games. So that's one, to show what video game development is actually like. And then two, also give an idea of, you know, it actually takes time. If we have to create hyper-realistic rocks, we have to go out and scan these things, right? So we have to send someone out to the cold mountains in Iceland or something and just spend a, a couple of weeks there going around, picking up rocks and taking hundreds of pictures. That is would give an indicator to players, okay, it's like it's not just wasted time that they're you know using this new method we are getting better graphics but we can also see that the effort involved has gone up a fair bit right
0: brilliant and uh thank you guys for your opinions on that one into the next question then uh lenny i'm gonna come over to you
3: yeah i mean the question is going to be quite similar to to the previous one right so would you say that consumers' expectations need to adjust, or do we in the gaming industry need to change how we present and market our products?
2: Yeah, I think it's hard for, at least not, uh, my opinion is that it, it's really hard to, to adjust the consumers' expectations. Uh, uh, as I said, like that they, they don't understand, so educating them on how 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 things are made is uh, is gonna be very difficult. But also we, they have the expectations we, we present to them, but also they, from, from the other games. So it's, um, I think it's, it's on us to explain better and, and be better at, at uh, teaching or, or, or explaining what the game is about. Uh, so if I, like if I take a, an example like uh, Elden Ring, was released now, uh, it was like a huge uh, 97 Metacritic, amazing game, I'm playing it and I love it. Uh, but like there's, there's a lot of uh, user Metacritic is that it doesn't look like next-gen. Uh, I think the, the game made a fair marketing where it presented itself, um, uh, like it, it, it just didn't hide its graphics um but players are getting uh, having the expectations from other games and putting it on this and um, and then like um I'm not sure how they could have educated the players on on what to expect but uh yeah it's uh it it m- makes it uh tough to or like my, my point is that it's it's tough to to uh tell the players to to adjust their expectations uh, what do you think
1: well, there's, um, there are two factors here that I like to consider quite often. Uh, we are not only developing uh, games, uh, bigger games, better games, but we have all these tools available to us. You know, um, a couple of companies are extremely active on social media, for example, where they gather this community that, of course, uh, gets hooked up on it, that the proximity with devs and eventually learns more about how, how games have been created and the next steps and all that. I don't think it's used as often as it should as a means for communication. I think it's a good source and it doesn't matter which social media it could be. Um, I'm a forum type of person. I've been forums forever in my whole gaming life. And whenever I need some information from the company, that's where I go. But I know that this generation is different. I know that they Google stuff and they go for their own source of information and they end up getting pulled or pushed into all of these opinions um, about games that they've barely scratched off. Um, that's a big part of you know expectations and feedback as well. So uh, when you say that, Maybe consumers need to adjust. I think they are being adjusted, but they are also be getting half of even part, just a simple part of the information of the the hype of what's going on in games. And I, I believe it's work from both sources, needs to be directed to the the right location. I suppose.
4: Yeah, I can just think of one example in that regard regarding. Uh presenting a, a game basically and I always think back to uh, Halo 5 or Halo Guardians where it was basically promised as the biggest hunt for truth ever but it was basically nothing in that regard which I, my expectations were okay this is a race against time or like finding out the truth or whatever but it were felt very far from it actually and I played it way after uh, it was released, uh, but I saw all the uh, the complaints about it, and they were, in my opinion, very justified based on
3: uh, how it was marketed. Uh... Yeah, I think there's also I think was mentioned earlier with the, for instance, Elden Ring that players or some players at least expected higher uh, graphics, better graphics. It's also good to sort of give the expectation. I think that in the industry we work with with min spec devices, so to say. Like that, the games has to work on the lowest NPC. Well, not lowest and generally, but we have a lowest NPC that the game should function on, which is what we consider to be the majority of the market will be on this PC or a PC, perhaps only one generation newer than that. So today, the people, especially with the 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 sor- uh, sorters and GPUs, um, delivering a game which is specifically for the latest visual uh, tech market is not ideal for most companies. Of course, we do the best that we can to make the most beautiful products that we can that supports the gameplay and gives the correct impression. But developing games for only you know 5 to 10% of the players who are the ones who sit on a GTX 3090 or something similar is simply not in any way, even responsible from a, from a company perspective. And, th- and of course, creating graphics for that and then downscaling it for the majority of the players is an extremely time consuming process. So, that is, of course, something that also has to be <laughs> taken into consideration, which I don't think is general knowledge either. That just because you as a player sit on a, a machine with an f- amazing graphic card and you want to make use of that, of course, it's not realistic to expect that everyone is sitting on similar machines and are able to enjoy that graphics and the company do deliver to the majority market, not uh, the, the minority market in that form.
2: Yeah, it's the same for consoles uh, that you have, uh, uh, like Elden Ring has been released for PS4, like all, all games have to be released on PS4 as far as I understand. Uh, and it splits the QA team, it splits, uh, like it, it takes a huge amount of resources to to do that. And you you can't, you have limitations because of this you can't you can't uh make a world bigger than it is or or um, yeah up, up your graphics because it still needs to go go down to this console then you can't make two games so.
4: i think it differs a bit what kind of game it is on a technical aspect if you take a multiplayer game or online game uh, it doesn't really need to be graphics heavy, I think, uh, for most users, since it's already running. Uh, everything running for a back end, and you're playing against other type of players as well. And from what I've seen, depending on the game as well, they want everything to be low quality just to get the FPS they need to have the, the edge in comparison to a single-player game where, they, or, or a story-driven game where they just want pure narrative, pure graphics, basically. And I haven't really looked into uh, Elder Ring, but as far as I know, it's only single-player. So I guess that's also where the complaints kind uh, of
2: Yeah, they do have a multiplayer part uh, that is oh, uh, very strange to explain. And, and very
3: <laughs> but yeah. And I think most of the discussion we've been having had also been very much focused on AAA, where the entire narrative changes a bit if you go into the indie space. Uh, where I think they're pressured in different areas, especially because so many games are in that space. There's such uh, so much competition that the price point especially becomes a big uh, ask for players. They expect the price to be very low on indie games, even if they deliver a ton of content. Uh, so there's, uh, they're walking a very fine line with how much content they can deliver while still being within the price point expected of an indie game. So I think there they they are suffering or well not suffering but they they have a different set of issues that they are combating especially when it comes to giving players what they expect and also working within the those parameters when they make the game because some games especially story driven games need to have a certain length they need to have enough hours to go through a specific story and if you if the story is too long or requires too much then the price would also have to go up. Uh, according to that which is beyond what player would be willing to buy for an indie game Uh, as soon as the price goes beyond a certain limit then it becomes in players minds triple a and now there's a completely different standard on it uh, even if the time frame they have to work with and the amount of people they have to work with is very different
0: brilliant Uh, moving it on ever so slightly then Um, next question Uh, guillame can we come to you please
2: uh, yes. So yeah, I, w- I wanted to to see um, to know at least if if you had an example where you um, or, or you did something that exceed uh, allowed you to exceed players expectation and and to know how how you achieved it. Uh, so it, it's like my my goal was just to see if if there was a way you communicated or a way you you worked that um, allowed you to. To uh, yeah, basically, surprise players with with more than they expected, and um, and see what we can learn from that. Basically,
1: well, um, I have a very specific story about that. That I thought when I read this this question. Um, well, it, it's not development related. It's not. Um, Release related. I used to be technical support for Riot a long time ago, and um, back where I'm from in Brazil, um, in 2012, most people did not really have good internet, and uh, a good computer even less. So um, the the one thing that I've learned about communication is picking up a specific uh, a, spe- a specific. Um, setup everything was different right per person every all of their setups were different uh all of their the internet location they paying everything mattered for the game and um i remember that once i made um i help this user play the game on a netbook and it wasn't minimum spec back then um but, I remember that I worked with this person for days in close, you know a, a close uh, uh, contact, trying everything that I could because the player really needed it. like it was it, it was a very specific situation. And um, when I look back at that experience, um, I think about how independently of this person's setup, this player was so in love with the game that he wanted to play it. it if I could make it work on a phone, he would be just as happy, and he would be just as satisfied. And he wouldn't care about graphics; he would care about gameplay and his experience overall. Um, I don't know how long it lasted on the on the on the netbook, um, but uh, every time I think about uh, exceeding player expectations, I think about limitations of technology and how, how we can approach this how we can explain to people that there is a limit but if we can go above that i think they they would just i mean as long honestly honestly how we can talk to people that changes a lot and even if i couldn't make him play on the netbook i think he would still be happy about the the proximity about the the personal uh contact with him in that situation, so, yeah. And that was
3: big. Legendary community support right there.
0: Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think in general, I can't really give a, a direct example, but I think in general, what I've uh, experienced where players get positively surprised uh, and we exceed the expectations is in the areas where we haven't hyped it up, essentially, uh, if we, we don't go out and promise something specific you know like the amount of uh, fps or whatever it's uh, the amount of weapons that players will get or card games the amount of cars or something similar if we haven't already gone out and said like that will be 50 um, then whatever we give you know we, we can even measure usually what the player's expectation would be by looking at the competition of course that's one of the areas where we sort of keep pushing ourselves to do better and better but then we deliver a couple more of the than the the competition or that the or the previous title, and then players' expectation will usually be exceeded, and they'll uh, be positive. Otherwise, it's generally something that's you know these sort of um, side quest events that get generated on these sort of uh, extra days that you have. These uh, what is it uh, we call it, it? Depends on the different studios that they have. You know, like this one day or this one week when they can make mm-hmm. their own. Uh, they can use their. Uh, the ideas uh, and game, get, game jam or game jam, yeah, sort of thing within the studio, right? There, you used to get these sort of amazing side quest story missions, or other things that gives the game a little extra personal flair. Uh, and I think that's usually also something players really love. It's like you see a lot of games where they have a specific mission that they call back to. I think The Witcher uh, has some of these unique missions that players really love. I think there's a lot of other games that has similar. Um, I remember in, in, in when I was working on Hitman, we had a lot of these uh, Easter egg missions that players would take a lot of, a long time to find, and it requires a really specific uh, way of going through the events to trigger. But once those videos came out on, on YouTube and other things, then you know they say players just really enjoyed it, and they are and yeah, they were sharing it and seemed very happy about these small Easter egg events that was created on. Well, not, I wouldn't say like a short amount of time, but uh, not to the same you know uh, same standard as the rest of the, the scripted missions. that's for sure.
4: Yeah, I don't personally have uh, uh, one of my own uh, uh, examples basically uh, since I haven't been in the industry for that long, but as a as a QA uh, and as a very customer oriented, uh, or a consumer-oriented person in that regard, the, the best way to basically not only meet the expectations, but also ex- exceed, depending on what kind of game it is or, and where you're coming from, is just to have a really good level of quality in general for, for the game and no close to zero game-breaking bugs, basically, so the user can actually have a solid, immersive experience. And if they get that when they're kind of used to having game breaking bugs that they're going to be super happy about it uh and yeah
3: (laughs) so true and so sad at the same time (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah, for me, at least, uh, where I was—at least when I was thinking about expectations—and and when uh, when I ex- or exceeded or was surprised about the the reception like I was working on on Greedo and Nynaeum, which is characters in Star Wars that n- n- barely uh, fire. Like even the fan f- Star Wars fans, uh, uh, everyone was just like, "Who? What? I, I want Obi Wan Kenobi. I want th- this other character." Uh, like they they have thirty seconds at top in in the movies, uh, and it's they're they're following up on uh, after Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. So it's like why why is this character going to fight Darth Vader? Or um, and I think where where I went from. So I think the you come coming back to what you were saying, Linny, as well is is that players didn't have much expectation uh, and going. Into really like deep into what what do they want behind all this behind the I want to be one Kenobi I want those big characters what do I did actually want and uh, it was just about like how did they want to feel in the game and that's where I came from to make the characters that and they actually felt like it, it I ho- hopefully at least in the end it felt like you were playing this character and that's what they wanted to be they wanted to be in Star Wars so like getting uh, to me was getting behind what they actually wanted what did they expect overall in the game you know? that's where i was coming from with this question basically
0: brilliant uh virginia are you ready with your question
1: oh god here we go <laughs> all right so um my question was born out of recent events uh last month a lot of uh big announcements big games being released and um- re- reading some some papers um I've came up with um this question that i I don't even know if i i know how to to answer it myself so um We've been seeing an increase in reports over what games are marketed off uh, in pre-launch events compared to what they are upon release. Do you believe that this is a wake-up call for companies to choose stability and lower consumers' expectations overall?
2: I think it's a really, yeah, it's a really good but really tough question because I I think it, are. It feels like there's a need for more than that. Uh, sadly, uh, I, th- I think it is really good that the, today's communication is um, makes things so wide, uh, widespread, and that everyone can can learn about it. Um, but like, it feels like we're in, in like one of the industries where industries where, where you can actually release a product that is unfinished like if you go to the movie and the movie stops in the middle and then you start again you're going to ask for a refund in our industry it's not very common and it's actually fairly hard uh so it it feels like we're getting away with it too easily uh with releasing something that is not stable and and um or or not what we marketed uh, so I think it will take time. It's on the right way from for, for con- like on the consumer side to to say, hey, we noticed this, um, but it will it will take a lot of time, I think, to actually, or at least in terms of AAA, to make it like a wake up call for companies to actually take the time to to polish the game and and make it a, a proper product in the end.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's a difficult one to really answer because the. There's many different outcomes, right? We've already seen a lot of the more experimental games uh, and the more story-driven games get moved to the indie space simply because the if you want both the graphical fidelity and the new engine, new tech, and things like that, while also making the more experimental games, the cost goes up uh, to a point where we would then have to ask the players for a fair bit more money for the games, which I don't think the market would really bear at the moment so and if we go more towards we have to deliver a polished games I mean all game developers want to do that Uh, but there is a a deadline that needs to be uh, met at some point both due to investors uh, incentives and other things Uh, but if we then have to deliver something that we can guarantee as polished. That means that we have to scope down the entire game, which means that we deliver a smaller uh, experience to the gamers, but for the same price, which would go against the player's expectations because for that price point, they would expect more gameplay and better uh, overall game. So th- there has to be a way of meeting that. Um, I think one way, of course, is to raise the price point. Something which I think we are already seeing a bit on the uh, on the next generation consoles. Uh, so that would, of course, go in a, in a direction where, assuming we don't keep walking on the bleeding edge of technology and having to keep uh, improve things, then we would be able to spend more time on the games to deliver a more polished product. But of course, the competition would require us to keep walking on the bleeding edge. So. It's a bit of a catch-22.
4: It's a fine line. And I think increasing the price point, if the game is on the bleeding edge tick and really pushing uh, the graphics on every level, then I think it's would be justified in the uh, consumer's perspective, in a way. Uh, but if it's kind of like the like keeping it the fidelity and everything kind of low, and you just increase the price point just to be... A, get the cash basically and be among the rest in terms of AAA, then yeah, th- that would be a huge outcry from from the players. But uh, as you mentioned, Lenny, it's a, it's a fine line to find in terms of both stability and what the consumers expect in terms of content uh, for what they demand from that kind of price from a game.
1: But here's the thing, here's the thing. Could we do opposite? Can we deliver more stable, yet good, yet technological? Um, I mean, not top of tech, uh, but, you know, tech that's been there for three years, let's say. And we deliver stable games with complete features, like finished game, that we actually market off for a lower pl- a lower price, if it's finished, if it's less. Would people be... Would consumers be more or less concerned about how I mean where AAA's are going, let's say? Because are AAA's defined by their price? Sorry for the extra question.
3: <laughs> mm, I wouldn't say triple A are defined by the price, but to some point, yes, they are in the way that the amount of people required to work on them and the amount of time. Uh, so at some point in order to get a return on, on investment, so to say, then uh, the price needs to be at a certain level. Uh, and of course, if you, even if you just keep it to the, the average within the AAA when it comes to tech and visuals, uh, then you're still looking at a, a, year, a three to four year long production cycle usually. Um, depending, of course, on what you do. If you make a new title, usually longer. If you make a continuation of an old title, then you can usually save some time on that because a lot of the the issues are known. You know the the requirements, uh, the design of the game, uh, and what the the art direction would used to be is is a known thing. So that tends to be a bit faster to do. Of course, you have other pitfalls, such as you know now play expectations are based on the old title, and nostalgia is a vicious thing uh, when it comes to <laughs> to feedback. Uh, so I think it's a difficult one. I don't think we can really lower the price point at this. I think keeping it where it is, uh, or or going up, would be the necessity for the future of game development in the AAA space. In indie space, it's a bit different. Um, I think that that's a different uh, <laughs> different issues, right? Because indies tend to use also more of the uh, the. Third-party technologies uh, Unreal Engine Unity, uh, which tends to make the development a bit faster in most areas. Uh, so, which is why we also see them be able to release faster and also with a lower price points. But then you also don't have the the teams of uh, of hundreds of people or two thousand towards the end of production, right? So, I think Indy is the space if if you want to do something that is more uh, cheaper and has a less technical issues than the indie space tends to give more allowance uh because then you don't you're not required to make a 20-hour or a multiplayer gameplay that will last for a year or two so i think that's it's easier to or not easier well it is still hard but it's a better space to make a more complete title in, in indie than it is compared to aaa very well yeah. yeah
1: thank you
2: yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a really good point that the the experience is more like it's more it's tighter and it's more, uh, yeah, d- defined. So you you have you're you're spreading yourself less, and and uh, I mean, bigger teams doesn't mean uh, better games. So,
3: but I think some some really good uh, titles, uh, especially in indie. A game that is very polished uh, such as i think everyone knows like journey and uh, and limbo which has a very simplistic style which allowed them to work far more on the tech and story aspect of the game and they weren't required to make something that were you're were supposed to spend weeks on completing um, and if you compare that to a game such as the witcher free which was such an amazingly story rich game uh, which you could spend months playing pretty much if you want to go for the full completion you can definitely see there why the price point would be so different even though journey is a extremely famous game when it comes to the story aspect and, and the visuals so both of them can say are kind of equal in their uh in how famous they are but the development uh, time put into it and the amount of playtime you get out of it is so vastly different that it also of course is a different price point and given that for instance the witcher is such a so much bigger of a title there's also far more room for errors to pop up and it becomes very difficult to tell someone in qa can you go through 300 hours of gameplay make sure that there's not a single bug it becomes an um, impossibility at some at some point in time where you have to release the game and say like, we're 99% sure that there's no issues. And then the players who buy the game on day one, uh, essentially becomes our, you know, a extra QA in a way that they play the game and they do things that we do not expect them to do. And then we can smack ourselves in the head and go like, of course, why didn't I try to do this very unintuitive thing? Uh, So, I mean, there's very, there's less. We have less time to verify that everything works. The CD project Red uh, with the um, Cyberpunk also has similar issues, right? Because again, the game is so big. I mean, some of these issues likely should have been caught, but it, uh, other issues would be very difficult to verify towards the end of the uh, of production. And the game has to come out at some point.
2: Yeah, and it's like, it's as you said, it's really difficult. And they they've been pushing the game for uh, a long time, and they are. Like uh, I know a few people there. They're really trying to like make a play- player first game and do as as good as they can for for the player. Uh, so it's uh, it shows how how uh, how difficult uh, yeah it can be. And I think the it it makes uh, sense for us, but also like I think it makes sense for the player to have a price tag that that def- kind of defines the game. I think psychologically you you kind of. Um, you you know you can set your expectations with the, the, the price of the game as well. So.
4: I think players have gotten used to also, uh, as you were on uh, on about Lanier becoming uh, extra QA, basically either if it's uh, alpha or beta or even when the game has been released. Like, why do I pay 60 bucks for this? Just to test and report bugs, basically I'm the consumer. Uh, and I think the past couple of years, this is something the consumers have gotten really used to and like expect at release, which is pre-orders and stuff. I, the general rule: don't play a live service game or a multiplayer game on day one because there will be a ton of different kind of issues. Uh, so if if and when someone managed to like release a stable game from day one, then yeah, you, that's another way, to, another way to exceed the expectations of player,
2: players. Uh, as a side question, what do you think about uh, early access? Do you think m- more games should go uh, towards that uh, to to help with expectation and to help involve the players early? Or...
3: It's it's a tough question. And go ahead. Yeah yeah i f- I think it would be good to do more early access. I can see why from a marketing perspective that you don't really want to do that because it's very difficult now to create hype to get players to you know uh buy the game before release or you know they sign up for a wish list or anything like that if if it's already known they're playing it, they've played it for a while. maybe they some of the players grow tired of it and don't want to play it anymore while they've played it until it's in the state of polish so I think early access with a cap of players joining would be, which is essentially like alpha or or beta players, right, Uh, would probably be the best way of doing it to sort of verify that everything works and have some very good community, because then you can also start a good community um, feedback, right, that that we actually have a forum that they can write things in and there is is, uh, people in the company side that respond to it. So then you create a culture in these forums that is very positive Whereas if you don't do this, you can get out you can end up with these very toxic forums, um, which we have seen a fair bit in industry. I think that's also something that is a good thing to mention is that the I think you also mentioned earlier, um, um, that the the expectation that players have, and also. On the developer side, the expectations that that we have is that we want to create games that are enjoyed by as many people as possible. We want it to be a polished experience, bug-free, if at all possible. That is what we set out to deliver to the players. And if we fail, it is not because of any malice from the developer side. It's not because that we want to push it out the door and earn money quickly and trick the players. That is not what. Anyone, especially from the developer side of things, go set out to do, and I think it will be good if if players also remember that sometimes because some of these comments that are to developers uh, on different social media accounts can become very toxic, and I don't think it's it's good to blame the developers. They really only want to deliver the best product possible, um, and I think it'll be good to to keep that in mind.
1: Yeah, especially in our industry, we. We we work for, we have passion for what we do. Like, this is the main thing that everyone knows about devs. But um, it's easy to comment something toxic through the internet, unfortunately. It's easy to see comments. It's easy to criticize something that you don't know how much effort was put into over the internet. So it, it's inevitable. And unfortunately, it's... It's going to exist. Let's just hope that the good comments are on top of that.
4: I think if uh, Game Dev set up, as we discussed earlier, set up up a good and clear line of communication and try and actually communicate with the consumers and try and manage those expectations, I think that's a way to lower the amount of toxicity. Because if you're quiet, if you as a company is quiet, like the consumers expect an eye, and they want to answer the toxicity. Like they don't answer to our piece, or advice and our issues. But if you have that open line of communication in some form, either through dev diaries to see the developers thinking, basically, and try to fit into their shoes and understand that, Then, yeah, I think it's good. that could improve, but uh, the and lower the expectations, basically. and so they understand.
2: Yeah, I have a. Uh, at least on Battlefront two, like the release was was what it was, uh, but we, we weren't able to talk too much to the players, and there was a lot of toxicity that built built up until we got a, a really good community manager, that uh, and we as devs w- were able to go on Reddit and were able to to tweet and and uh, build up the game and actually the the the, the nice story I, I think i always remember is that there was a youtuber who was very toxic towards me personally because i was active on twitter um and he actually like said like oh he should be fired and and like it was it was a bit hurtful uh but uh in the end after communication and and talking to the players like uh, uh both ways uh, he actually made a video apologizing to me, and that was really such a like, like very nice, nice feeling that not, not only towards me, but that that players really were became uh, happy about the game and be happy about us uh, putting everything we doing everything we could to, to make a better game.
3: Yeah, sorry to hear that you had to experience that. That's <laughs> kind of been easy. But yeah, I think in general, the, the feedback we get from the players that, you know, like, this doesn't work, this is broken, and other such things. Like, the, the developers have the exact same experience once they find out. And probably even to the developers, there's probably even more, uh, you know, self-criticism about it, right? Because designers want the players to experience this mission the way it's been scripted, the way it's been designed. And if it doesn't work like that for the players, then, of course, the designers... Don't enjoy that, right? They want you to have a, a certain feeling while playing the games. This mission or others. The same for for artists is that they they want a you have you to you know see this beautiful game with a rich story in every detail. And if you don't see that because there's texture themes everywhere or for some reason the texture streaming bugs out, uh, then that is all the artists are literally crying uh, because they want this to be as beautiful. They want the players to see the work they've put into this. Uh, so of course, if if players see things that aren't as they should be, then that we do most companies, I think every company pretty much have some community feedback, some way of you know sending it to the companies. But please be respectful when when you send this in, uh, because the, the the developers will look at that and try to improve it as fast as possible. Of course, with that caveat being that the patches are usually set throughout the year at specific periods so if we get feedback even if it's something that you as a player might know can be solved in five minutes even if it can be it will come out with a patch in two months and that's just because we have specific release cycles so it's not because you are being ignored
2: Pretty true thing are bunch,
3: is very, sorry uh,
4: go ahead and there are a bunch of other fixes and issues that can be solved in five minutes as well so they basically just stack up so not that specific issue is something you will see a fix for in the next coming week or two, depending on uh, hot fixes and stuff. But yeah, at the patch release, most definitely. Uh,
2: I think it's it's really I think it's really important what you said, and really important to remind each other as devs that we uh, I have a legendary dev, development director who always said when we did um, uh, a feedback session or or um, when when we talked about the release, uh, we did the best we could within the time we had, and he always started the meeting with that, and that always that always put something positive on the meeting. And I think we we like we should remind or like each other that we we are doing the best we can because sometimes you can you can put yourself down a little bit because uh, because of some releases.
3: Yeah, and I think it's also good to keep in mind as a developers like the reason why the players react or some players can sometimes react uh, aggressively or harshly, uh, it's because they have a lot of passion for the games. So it might come out poorly, but it comes from a good place, if you can put it that way. So the harsher the critic, the more passion for the game, essentially. Yeah,
0: exactly. Brilliant. And uh, we will leave it there. Uh, So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank my guests, uh, Virginia, Lenny, Felix and Giami for providing their insights into the topic. And thanks, everybody, for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of the upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at jordan.lound at evolution-nordics.com. And we will see you all next time.